Welcome to the Explore the Symphony podcast with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, coming to you from Studio P3 at Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm your host, Marjolaine Laroche, Assistant Principal Bass of the NAC Orchestra. Like last season, I will be joined in conversation with Jean-Jacques, a musicologist, music critic, lover of language, music and history. This season will concentrate on the piano concerto. We begin this season with Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 1. exploration of classical music and this season we will be looking at the romantic piano concerto. Last year we looked at the symphony in its form in its most famous composers. This year it's the concerto and more specifically the piano concerto. Now just rapidly I can say that the concerto is the name you put to a composition which is for a solo instrument accompanied by an orchestra. That's basically it. Now, Darwin and music have a lot in common because music evolves. You can't always put this, the name to the thing, but basically this is it. And for more clarification and for much more interesting facts, I have with me Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, and he's going to um, enlighten us about this. Now, our first subject is going to be Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 1. Jean-Jacques? Yes, well, may I come back for a second to the, you, you said very well, Darwin, you know, evolution. And um, the evolution of the concerto, of course, has been, has been marked through, during that essentially 19th century into the 20th century. But the, uh, the, uh, you said it's a soloist accompanied by an orchestra. In fact, uh, the concerto started to have its, its the form we know best with Mozart, with the Mozart's piano concertos. Haydn before him was far better in his symphonies, in his string quartets, than, than Mozart was. In fact, he did much more towards those things. Not in the concerto. Why? Because Mozart came a few years after Haydn, and in those few years there had been the Enlightenment, and in that Enlightenment the individual started to take his space in society. 
Now, if you want to look at it symbolically, in the 19th century, the evolution was the dialogue between individual and society. And Mozart will discover this. And Mozart, in his 27 piano concertos, uh, will be expressing himself, his own evolution, in fact. And it's his diary. And in that diary of the soloist individual uh, discussing or dialoguing with society and becoming himself is what the concerto has been. That's why we are still very interested in that today. That's why the piano concerto, essentially the piano concerto, other, other instruments have followed, but it is the piano which became the instrument of the 19th century. That is the uh, trade, the, the locomotive, the, 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 uh, the, the element that pushes us forward, in fact. So, with Mozart, it is a perfect dialogue between one entity and the other entity. That will change when you go a little bit further, 30, 40 years, when you get to the real romantics like Franz Liszt. My God, the virtuoso will take over. And then poor, poor society, you know, here I am, the individual as such. I'm improvising. I'm, I'm being the great virtuoso. I'm the king on the stage. And uh, that's when you get those kind of piano concertos. Then you get, of course, to the late romantics and you have the, uh, the piano tries to be as important as the, what we call the accompanist, the orchestra. Um, that won't take long anymore uh, in the 20th century. And if you, I just heard a premiere of a piano concerto in Lucerne last, a few weeks ago of a, com a, com uh, a, a contemporary composer. And uh, he goes back to elements within the orchestra. It's not a big orchestra anymore. It's a smaller orchestra in which the instruments simply dialogue with the piano. Piano is identical again, but uh, disappears within the, uh, the structure and within the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 Ah, uh, what, what what should I call it between uh, le tissu, oh, we, the texture, the of texture the, of yes. the of the, that essentially the texture, the harmonics of the of the orchestra, in a way. Glenn Gould had foreseen that. You know how Glenn Gould played his piano concertos, Beethoven piano concertos? He put his piano back within the orchestra and played it like, uh, like a Baroque concerto in which the two were equal. He had foreseen that kind of evolution of the piano concerto. He did the same thing with the Brahms concertos, which was very difficult. So anyhow, here we are with Tchaikovsky, and Tchaikovsky, like Brahms, he knew Brahms quite well, um, will, be, uh, will be trying to compete with the orchestra. We consider, you know, the symphony as being big, the major works of a composer's um, you know, uh, library will be the symphony. To me, in my heart, often the concerto has such beauty in it, sometimes a little shorter, sometimes a little less deep, but you know, um, still many of these romantic concertos grab you, take you and carry you. Because Maybe. of the, in the, the individual against That's society. It. I mean, Absolutely. it's me, it's you, you know, talking, dialoguing with society and trying to be our, you know, full strength. And for Tchaikovsky, I was doing some research and, you know, the big events in Tchaikovsky, uh, his life haven't happened yet when he 
composes uh, the first piano concerto. No, no, but he was surrounded by great pianists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he himself was not a great professional pianist. We'll get back to that in a few seconds. But, you know, he was, um, I think that was one of the reasons, one of the incentives for him to go forward with that piano concerto. He had, you know, Nikolai Rubinstein next to him. He, uh, he had uh, Taniev next to him. Taniev, who is the first one who will play the big Brahms piano concertos in in uh, St. Petersburg and in Moscow. And, uh, and Tandiev will be very important to him uh, also later for the third piano concerto. The, these, the, the, there was Nikolai Huber, also wonderful pianist, who was even closer to him than Nikolai Rubinstein was. You know, these, people, these people were there and were, in a way, waiting because they knew this was a very gifted composer. Although this composer was uh, at uh, was a late bloomer, and that's what you were saying. In fact, a few seconds ago, he had not done very much. Well, he finished studying when he was 25. Now, <laughs> although he was naturally very gifted, he he had to do all kinds of other things. He went to school of law, as they called it at that time, or to to become a civil servant. You know, to poor poor. Piotr Ilyich, you know, uh, you know, you know, when you have that extraordinary gift behind you, and uh, it, and it's this extraordinary feeling for music, this extraordinary emotional closeness to music, and I'm saying this uh, because I, I uh, there, there is a fabulous moment in his life when he's about five years old, and he, he hears for the first time Mozart, and he says, and I'm. I'm quoting by heart, oh, oh, this music, this music, can anybody stop it? I can't get rid of it. It stayed in him. He was, he was crying. They had to, they had to lock him up downstairs in the, in that wonderful place in Alayevsk, where his parents and where his happiness was at that time. With his parents being surrounded by his family and things like that. But they had to lock him up. But this little boy, his nervous system couldn't take the discovery of Mozart. Mozart will be important to him, by the way. Mozart will be following all his life. Anyhow, this is uh, what uh, this Tchaikovsky at 25 uh, finishes his studies and this concerto will come a few years later uh, and will be the first. What we think major work is... For us, for people, at the receiving end, we think this is the first major work, but it is not very true. I mean, it, you know, his first major works are his songs. That's where he is himself, very clear, very open, and saying what he thinks about everything around him. Well, you were talking about um, Nikolai uh, Rubenstein, and how the concerto was received. And of course, we're talking about this concerto. We're going to be playing it very soon with the orchestra. But when it was first played, the concerto, and it's a standard concerto, three movements, when Tchaikovsky first presented it to Rubinstein, because he wasn't a very good pianist, he asked the best that he knew to hear it. Right. Yeah. Well, it, 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 this is a very interesting, a very interesting moment. You know, we, we come out of the of a period where he has the premiere. We, we're talking about 1874. You know, he's 34 years old. Um, he has just composed an opera which he loved very much, Vacula. It was called Vacula. Then um, he uh, composes uh, the, the the second quartet, very important quartet also, which has its premiere in Saint Petersburg on the 24th of October. Meanwhile, he starts 
wanting to compose this this piano concerto. He worked very fast, in fact. He, he very uh, perhaps we'll come back to that in a, a few seconds. He was a great professional. Uh, he had his schedule organized per day, and n- nothing very much would come in the way of his organization. And uh, uh, there are all kinds of anecdotes around that. But anyhow. Second Quartet on the 24th of October in St. Petersburg. That's the one where Tolstoy was mm-hmm. and where Tolstoy cried. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a wonderful moment for, for Tchaikovsky. But there was the great writer sitting next to him. And then, he, the, then there is the premiere of The Tempest. The, the Tempest, which is, uh, you know, he loved, he loved uh, Shakespeare. And he would go, um, and this is a kind of overture, fantasy overture, because he never got further than it. He, he thought perhaps making an opera out of it, but that didn't happen either. And that is on the 16th of November. Then he finishes the piano concerto, minus one part, and we'll come back to that, minus one part. And, uh, and his friend La Roche uh, writes a, a devastating criticism about The Tempest. And then, in which he says, oh, you're just an imitator of Schumann, Gluck, and Berlioz. And that, of course, that very sensitive person, Tchaikovsky was, gets into full depression while he's working on the first piano concerto. He finishes it on the 21st of December, that same year, 1874, and then sends it to Nikolai Rubinstein. Now, <laughs> Rubinstein uh, uh, is, uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't answer. And, uh, and, and, um, and he will be, uh, he doesn't answer. He says, well, I don't think this is a very good work. Um, but uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, who was not a professional pianist, um, um, uh, will be inviting him. And the other person I mentioned, Nikolai Huybach, two great pianists, uh, uh, the day before Christmas, on the 24th of December, to come and listen. So he plays the first movement. So, oh, there we go. You know, first movement is finished. He looks around. They don't say anything. Then he's silence. So he goes further. The second movement. Plays the third movement. The whole concerto is finished. 32, 34 minutes later, uh, you were saying about the length. This is quite a long piano concerto. And by the way, his second piano concerto will be 40 minutes long. So these are like, like symphonies. And in fact, there is a symphonic element in the work when Tchaikovsky uh, can permit himself that. And so he finishes it and... Uh, uh, Rubinstein criticizes every bit of that 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 uh, piano concerto. He he himself in his in his uh, diary will say, and I'm quoting: "The flood of oratory started to flow quietly at first, then takes one more and more uh, more the tone of Jove the Thunderer. <laughs> it is impossible to play," uh, says uh, Nikolai Rubinstein. Passages are hackneyed, clumsy, and so awkward that it was not even possible to correct them. That as a composition. It is bad and vulgar. Here we go. I mean, that. So here it is. It's Tchaikovsky at his piano. You know, it was so bad that three years later, in letters, two letters to Mrs. von Meck uh, in 1878, um, he will. Con- he, 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 he is profoundly touched by it and he, he still talks about it. Um, he says to her, uh, I know that Nikolai Rubinstein. Um, would not um, uh, uh, refuse to seize on the occasion to exercise a little bit of tyranny on me. You know? mm-hmm. you know, this was the kind of relationship between the two. Now, 
so Tchaikovsky refuses. He refuses. Uh, Rubinstein says, well, there are perhaps two or three little passages that you can, that you can work out. But uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, and, and, and Tchaikovsky will say later to Mrs. Van Meck also, it was not only what he said, it was the tone he said it. Well, didn't he, uh, Rubinstein, sit at the piano and imitate Imitate yes, yes. the the work of Tchaikovsky. Yeah, and he said, and he said also, well, let me let me change things. Let me let me bring. And Tchaikovsky, for the first time, because he was a very sweet man, a very very, he was not a demonstrative person, a very sweet, internalized person. I will not change the slightest notes, and I will publish it exactly the way it is. In fact, he didn't publish it the way it is. He will put, uh, he will uh, put uh, other elements to it, but we'll come back to that uh, afterwards because they're important elements. And, um, and so, um, I, in January, so that's, that's a week later, on the 9th of January, in a, in a letter to his brother Anatoly, you know, he had, uh, there were uh, seven children in the family. You know, there was one older sister who was of the first marriage of his father, then six children, six brothers, and one, uh, five brothers and one sister <laughs> that came afterwards. And to, in a letter to his brother Anatoly, he, uh, he, he says, and I quote, I fell in full depression during the holidays. During the holidays, of course, Christmas and New Year's holidays. It was very, very bad. But what happens is that Nikolai Rubinstein um, uh, will change his mind. But what happens is this too late, because it will be played for the first time, you know where? In Boston, <laughs> in the United States. And uh, it will be played under a conductor who I have never heard about, Benjamin Johnson Lane. Well, but at the piano, at the piano, another great conductor, Hans von Bülow. And he dedicates yeah. it to Hans von Bülow. <laughs> he scratches it out, eh? It was supposed it. to be for Rubenstein. Yes, oh, he thought of Tanayev also. <laughs> he thought you, of you Tanayev. You know what I, I find is very surprising is that it was premiered in Boston for Mr. Uh, with Monsieur Lane, and it was the B.J. Lane Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the Boston, uh, there was no, no, no Boston no. Symphony no, yet. No, of course not. No, no, no. And there it is, a pickup orchestra, yeah. Hans von Bülow, mm -hmm. and this fantastic concerto. You know, in the States somewhere. <laughs> but it, it won't take long, you know, after that. Um, it, it won't take long because uh, uh, a few months later, uh, it will be played and in, in uh, 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 not in Moscow, it will be played in St. Petersburg with Taneyev at the piano. Because Taneyev had learned it meanwhile and without any problem. Taneyev was also a kind of a composer. He has mm -hmm. composed a certain number of works. Very, very interesting chap. Uh, disappeared a little bit in the history of musicology, but you know, um, they're very interesting, very important for Tchaikovsky at that time, and perhaps we'll get back to that. Now, Meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, depression, you know, un unhappiness. Uh, he, he will compose his third symphony, the third quartet. I have a theory about that. You know, uh, even if when composers are in the deepest of depressions, they sometimes compose very, very uppity works, very happy works. You know, Beethoven was in the worst of times, wrote his, his will. 
and composes uh, composes the second symphony, and you know, and that is a very very optimistic symphony. It's there are there are things, and Tchaikovsky also that third symphony he composes afterwards. You know, no problem. I mean, this is a straightforward work, rather superficial, in fact. So are parts of the uh, the concerto, but that's another problem. <laughs> So here is this concerto, which he, after the Christmas period, he, he says, well, something is missing, something is missing. And uh, it's only after the third rewriting of the concerto that he will put an entrance piece to it, the famous entrance piece, the piece that everybody remembers and we will most probably hear it, and we hear it all over the place. We hear it in publicity on television. We hear it all over, you know, it's in the mind of everybody. And it's in fact a kind of mini movement that he puts ahead of his first movement. It has nothing to do with the concerto. It are two different things. It will never come back afterwards. So he has this mini, uh, mini, uh, uh, mini movement in which there is a, a theme, a development, and a, and a, and a finale. <laughs> and then he gets in his uh, in his real first movement. So it's only at the third time that that this is that that, that at the third take that it is part uh, of the concerto, and I wanted to say this because it it, it it is important to see how how people work, and what sticks to the mind of people. I mean, as for, for listeners, ultimately, this concerto is very popular. It is, and I, I, I don't deny its importance in the discovery of music for about uh, 80% of, the, of, of, of music lovers. And I went through Tchaikovsky, and I went through Tchaikovsky. It was not the first one. Unfortunately for me, it was Wagner, but that's another story. I mean, but, you know, Tchaikovsky came very close, and, I've, and, and it's uplifting, and it's an extraordinary piece of music. I think the most extraordinary piece of music in this concerto is the second movement. But we'll come back to that if we want to discuss it. Well, I do have a question about the second movement, absolutely. It starts, and with our orchestra we're very well served, because it starts with a flute solo that goes very uh, low in the register. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's lovely, and our, our flautist uh, Joanna Gaffer is going to do something beautiful with it. Mm -hmm. However, in the middle... There's a funny little... What do you think is a funny little thing? This is an extraordinary moment of virtuosity. That's why that he had to put that moment of virtuosity in it. But let me come back. You're absolutely right about the finesse, about the, 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 the subtlety of the theme of that, of that movement. In fact, it's very close to Chopin, a Chopin, a, a Chopin melody. And when that 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 is very beautiful and suddenly the the the, the piano uh, responds to that theme obviously um, in that you know in that movement which we call the andante semplice the simple andantino andantino it's more singing than an andante the piano in very light uh, accord accord uh, in very light uh, 
arpeggios, arpeggios and chords. Very light arpeggios, staccato arpeggios, um, in very light staccato arpeggios uh, come, uh, comes in and accompanies that, that wonderful melody. And then the piano says, my God, it is time that I take over. We are in the 19th century. We are in virtuoso time. Let me show what I can do. Light, fast, swift. Oh, it's, it's a fabulous moment. You know, I, I have heard it with some of the greatest pianists in the world. And I remember Emil Gilles. Before the, before the first piano concerto which he played like, I don't think anybody else. Um, he, uh, he would be working on that little piece in the, uh, in the salon, waiting while the, while the orchestra was playing the, uh, the, 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 let's say, the introductory piece to, before he got in with the first piano concerto. The only thing that he would rehearse five minutes before he came in was that little virtuoso part. It's, it's an extraordinary piece. And it, I think it's also very, very refined. It's refined virtuoso. You will find that in the second piano concerto by, by Tchaikovsky, in which that, that virtuoso part is it's dangerously fast. <laughs> fast and very soft. And very and, soft. And it's funny because it fits. Which is strange. It doesn't. It's not a. Um, you know, some symphonies slow movements and concertos a slow movement. And there's an interruption like this, and it's it uh, jars you. This is light, like a, a breath of fresh air, and then we get back to the theme. To that wonderful little theme, yes. But then there's a sort of a da 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 da. da which what what is that from? A little French song. For maybe a Desiree... No, 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 uh, no, no, no. I, of course. Artur, now, let, let, in that pre central prestissimo... Yes. In that central prestissimo, there is a little French, as the French call it, chansonnette, a little, little song. And it, it is called in French, Il faut s'amuser, danser, rire. You have to have fun, dance and laugh. Tchaikovsky had a francophone upbringing. He, when he was a little boy, he would write poetry in Russian and in French. Uh, I have some of his poetry here, but you know, it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, it's a chi child's poetry. Um, he, he would have a nanny, which came from, from Switzerland, and that too is a very important story. This is not anecdotal, because his happiness period in Alapayevsk, that happiness period when the family was all together before he had to go to that school when he was 10 years old in St. Petersburg when he, he was torn away from his mother essentially from his mother and from the family and also from the nanny who then went uh, looked after the last children but then went back to, to, to Switzerland that nanny which he will go and visit at the end of his life and when he finds her she had kept his poetry she had kept his his drawings and uh, you know what that made what that what what that gave to him that gave him the the creativity to do the nutcracker and it is an extraordinary moment people have not looked at the dates and the times or that but it's that nutcracker just whirled up from him that's why it's also a, that's a masterwork that is a masterwork Tchaikovsky in his ballets and Tchaikovsky and his songs have masterworks. The rest is great professional work 
oh, inspired, certainly, by moments. But, you know, it's not as inspired as his songs or his ballet works. Now, coming back to the concerto, first concerto, the last movement, we talked about the second, we talked about the first movement, the second movement, here is the third movement. It's called an Allegro con Foco. And in that, love, that Allegro con Foco has two parts in it. There are two dances in there. There is a dance, a Ukrainian dance, which is a popular dance. And on the other hand, you have a, a ballet and it's music of the Sleeping Beauty. I always thought so. I always <laughs> thought it sounded like you could bring out the, the you know... The, yeah, the ballerina. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the, the swans or the yeah, something yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so there know, it is. It, it, it's there. <laughs> and he was, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, a year later, he had not composed it yet, as yet at that time. He gets the order of, from the Imperial Theatre in the summer of 1875. So that's, that's about a year later from the, the, the work on the concerto. And he gets that uh, order from the Imperial Theatre. And you know, that year, 1870, he, he, will, he will keep it with him. He, you know, he doesn't feel it yet. And then he goes to, in 1876, all those that know Wagner know that this is the opening of Bayreuth. So what does Tchaikovsky do? Like many other composers, he goes to Bayreuth and he goes to, 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 this, to the whole ring cycle. And the hero of Sleeping Beauty, what is the name of the hero of Sleeping Beauty? Siegfried. Jean-Jacques, we are a little bit uh, scattered in a way. With all our, our stories, you'd like to get back to the concerto itself. Yes, well, let's get back and let's, let's put it all together. You know, a first movement, which is a very strong, generous, lyrical uh, first movement, very intensely dynamic first movement, in which he puts a, um, an independent element in front of it, which is a kind of flagship to all piano concerti, and which has its independence as a, as a unit. It's a micro-movement, in fact, with an exposition, a development, and, and a, a, a reprise, and, and, and taking that exhibition again at the end. And uh, then you have the second Second movement, and in that second movement, a wonderful andantino semplice, very simple andantino singing, like which which reminds us of Chopin melodies, and uh, of it, it is of very great finesse, of very great uh, refinement within the middle part, which is uh, based on a French chansonnette. You know, one has to be happy and laugh and dance and have fun. That was the title of that little song, which Tchaikovsky knew very well. And then the last movement, an allegro con fuoco, with fire, an allegro with fire, which is, uh, which is a symphonic movement, very, very virtuoso also for the piano, be between a popular dance, which is a Ukrainian dance, and a classical ballet, uh, which which is the uh, Sleeping Beauty, which will become a melody or part or uh, an idea for the Sleeping Beauty two years later. You reminded me of something that I read, and maybe this is very anecdotal. I read that he was great friends with Saint-Saëns, that they discovered that they had a certain kinship the two of them. They had more than a certain kinship, yes. Uh, I, I, there, is a, there is a famous, an extraordinary story about that. They met uh, that year, 1875. 
they met in 1875. And he, uh, and, you know, the, the, both of them were, were, were clearly homosexual. Uh, Tchaikovsky was uh, fully homosexual and uh, Saint-Saëns had lots of children but also had uh, uh, male relations. And uh, so when they were in... Uh, um, in uh, in St. Petersburg, they they closed off one room of the of the of the conservatory, and with Nikolai Rubinstein at the piano, they danced um, an opera of the uh, of, of uh, a baroque opera, Assise Galate. Um, one of them was Assise, the other one was Galate. I won't say who was who, and uh, they dressed up and uh, danced together through that thing. I'd, I would have loved to be there to see those two great composers, uh, you know, uh, do their thing. With great dedication, it With says. With great dedication. <laughs> uh, that was for the people that were there, yes. I, I don't know what uh, the director of the conservatory, that was, uh, that was uh, Rubinstein, um, uh, thought of that, but, you know, th this, was a, this was a wonderful world. And so after Rubinstein has demolished Tchaikovsky right at Christmas, right after Christmas, so the year after Christmas, there he is playing the piano. Yes, but they, they, they stay, they, you know, it's very interesting. Rubinstein will be playing the concerto the first time in 1878. And you know where? For the uh, international exhibition in Paris. He will be the one, I want to play the piano concerto, because at that time already it became very famous and it became the flagship of, of Tchaikovsky's works. you, the, the, the three last symphonies and the ballets will, will in a way overtake that, and, and rightly so, up to a certain point. Uh, one of the things I would like to add to, f to finalize this story about the concertos and Tchaikovsky's concertos, he only composed... Um, uh, in fact, one more concerto, the second concerto, and about about six or seven years later, and uh, and, and it was uh, it was played by Taneyev, and and it's and it's an absolutely brilliant piece of music. It's a, people find it a bit long, but it is uh, musically certainly certainly at the level of the first piano concerto, and uh, for the pianist, it is uh, it is a it's a heck of a work. I will tell you. And then there is a third piano concerto, a very short one. You know, before, between the fifth and the sixth symphony, uh, and that is now by the end of his life, you know, he had a very short life. You know, both Mahler and he only went till about 51, and that was, that, that, that was their lifespan. Um, he, um, uh, between the fifth and the sixth symphony, he tried another symphony, and he had some documentation for that. He had done one movement of that symphony or parts of that symphony. And uh, Taneyev pushes him and says, come on, you know, use it for a piano concerto. So that's what he did. It's only 17 minutes long because it's only one movement. <laughs> Um, Taneyev himself would finish the, the, the piano concerto and, and would play it after Tchaikovsky's death, I think about three years after Tchaikovsky's death. So, but it's not as interesting, you know, that would have been the famous Seventh Symphony. It has been reused also. The same material has been reused to reconstruct uh, a symphony. So, but it, it was not a finished work, really. I mean, and so 
ultimately, he has composed two piano concertos and uh, with some material for a third one, which he had his hand, obviously. And then also, of course, we should not forget, although this is about piano concertos, that he composed a marvelous violin concerto. To my understanding, the violin concerto was received by uh, the violinist Auer? Auer, yes. And the right. same way that Rubinstein Absolutely. received the piano. Too this difficult, is impossible too hard, to play. Impossible complicated. To play, yeah. And we know what happened with that concerto. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, and I should not forget a work which I, I adore, which is his uh, cello concerto. Uh, you know, the variations on a theme. And this is, this is a wonderful piece of music also. So, you know, he, he did his bit in each of the great instruments <laughs> of the 19th century. And, um, and especially, of course, in the piano concerto. Jean-Jacques, thank you so very much. My pleasure. I look forward to talking with you again. So do I. That's all for this edition of Explore the Symphony. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Explore the Symphony. Until next time, this is Marjolaine Laroche for Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler and our team at the NAC saying goodbye from the National Arts Center.